Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday daily lives as women. I'm Chloe Langer, and today we're having a conversation about the beauty of making a house a home. We're in the middle of the Christmas season, and I think for many of us, this is a season where we have a lot of memories centered around traditions and what the word home means to us. Whether you're gathering with family around a dinner table or this year is a smaller, more intimate Christmas celebration, I think the idea of home is something at the front of our minds, especially if you can't travel home this year due to COVID restrictions or after a particularly hard year, the memories are bittersweet. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dr. Carrie Gress, and we are talking not only about the beauty and theology of home, but also the beauty of homemaking, which is a concept that might sound a little outdated in 1950s, but don't worry, we're going to dig into that too. There is a line from the song Old Holy Night that keeps coming to mind throughout this Advent season and as we get closer to Christmas. The line, a weary world rejoices. And if your year has been anything like mine, it has indeed been a Christmas season that I've arrived at weary, but also rejoicing. So if you're desiring to be intentional with the home that you create, not only during the Christmas season, but all year round, sister, this letter is for you. This episode of Letters to Women is sponsored by my brand new book, Letters to Women, Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life, published by Tan Books. If you love the conversations you find on this podcast, I want to invite you to pre-order the Letters to Women book, which comes out in March of next year. As a thank you, I'm in the middle of recording an exclusive podcast miniseries with the women who contributed letters to the book so you can get to know their story and the way that they live out the feminine genius in their daily life. So hold on to your pre-order receipt for access to that series and I will promise that I will keep you in the loop about when that is released. So if you want more details, head over to my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com. Letters to Women, Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life is a collection of 30 letters from ordinary women who live vibrant, faithful lives, each inspired by the teachings of Pope St. John Paul II. You're going to find letters from women in all seasons of life and letters that speak into universal experiences like struggling with comparison or building a prayer life. My prayer is that every woman, no matter what season or situation she's finding herself in, will find a letter in this book to accompany her and let her know that she's not alone. I would be so honored if you would check it out. Go to letterstowomenpodcast.com for more details. Letters to Women, embracing the feminine genius in everyday life. Also in fun news, I've created an Instagram account for the Letters to Women podcast and book. You can follow along at letters to women underscore podcast. And this week I'm giving one Letters to Women listener a copy of Theology of Home 1, Theology of Home Two and the Theology of Home 2021 Planner, because we're all hoping that we need a planner for 2021. Head over to the new Letters to Women Instagram account after this conversation and follow along to enter to win your own copy of Theology of Home 1, 2, and the Planner. So let's dive into this conversation with Dr. Carrie Gress. I am welcoming to the show Dr. Carrie Gress, who has previously been on Letters to Women to discuss her book, The Marian Option. Carrie is a prolific writer and author of several other books, including The Anti-Mary Exposed. She and her husband live with their five children in Virginia, and she's also the editor of an online Catholic women's magazine, theologyofhome.com, and you're going to want to sign up for the Daily Collection, which is one of my absolute favorite things to see in my email inbox every morning. Carrie, welcome back to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the show again. Thank you. It's so fun to be back on the show again. So this is great to talk about something a little bit more fun this time. <laughs> Not that talking about Our Lady isn't fun, but, uh, you know, there's something to be said for talking about 
homes and and fun books and great visuals. So thanks. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I think especially around Christmas when I think home is kind of a subject on a lot of our minds. So I think it's gonna be perfect. So we're gonna be talking about a brand new book you've created with Noel Maring. And that's the very long anticipated, at least for me, I've been waiting for this one to come out for a while. Theology of Home Two. <laughs> the spiritual art of homemaking. You know, when I first looked at that, the title homemaking, I think, is a term that some listeners might associate with something old fashioned or outdated or their mind may shoot straight to the 1950s. What inspired the creation, first of, of a second Theology of Home book, but the, the focus on homemaking and, and that concept as well, especially today in 2020? Yeah. You know, I think um, this was a book that actually certainly came out of the first book. The first book, we talked a lot about the elements of the home and just comparing it to um, you know, all those great transcendentals that exist in our home, you know, transcendental is an idea that, that's something that can go exist in more than one thing in different ways. So uh, things like light and nourishment um, and um, sa- safety and comfort, those are things we find in our homes, but we also find them in church and we also anticipate them in heaven. Um, so that was really fun to sort of delve into those kinds of very material concepts in the previous book. Um but Noelle and I were really struck by the idea, even in the first book, and we talk about it slightly in the first book, but that, you know, home doesn't make itself. Um, it, there, there, there is a homemaker required to make a home feel like a home. And, it, you know, I think it rubs us the wrong way that it's still such, a, uh, you know, under-respected kind of word that people still, you know, bristles them a little bit. And much of that is, is certainly the residue from, from radical feminism. So, you know, 50 years later radical feminism is still sort of holding our imagination on what it means to be a a homemaker and so that was just sort of unacceptable to us you know we thought all of these things that people do to make a home are now popular like decorating your home or nourishing and feeding a crowd of people that you love or being hospitable and bringing people into your home um, for entertaining and and just to you know build community well, those are all the aspects of homemaking. So, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like, we want the word back. You know, we don't want to go back to the 1950s because it was not an ideal era. Um, you wouldn't have had the 60s if there hadn't been real problems in the 1950s. So we're not in any way suggesting that we could go back to that, um, you know, sort of idealized sense of the home. But we, we want to move forward with where we're at today, but in a way that's actually healthy and rational and makes sense. Um, and I think this you know, demonization of the word homemaker um, doesn't do any of that for us. So it's just a, a way of sort of um, clearing the air again and realizing that there's a lot to be said for, for making a home and that it's really a beautiful gift and a service that is so necessary. And that, you know, if we had people more more people took it more seriously i think a lot of the issues that we see in the culture today would really dissolve because it's a matter of really loving people um and helping them know themselves and know that they're loved and that they're fed and cared for and all of those kinds of things that i think um we uh, you know we want in our lives but it's just hard to figure out how to always do it well so that was really the motivation for it was just how do we remind people that this is a really great, good thing? You know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and that was another reason why we went with pictures again with this project um, is because those pictures sort of impress something on the soul in a way that reading words can't do it. 
Um, so that was kind of the, just really the motivation. Oh, for the whole I, love project. It. I love this idea of reclaiming this idea of homemaker, but then what a timely conversation, you know, as I kind of think back in 2020, mm-hmm. a year in review, how many of us turned to things, especially as we spent more time at home. I have so many friends who got into sourdough bread, which I did not because that's not my gift and talent. <laughs> it is others. It's not mine, but like the garden right. came back that had a right. huge resurgence this summer. Um, and yeah. all, all types of art yep. and crafting and, and just being really intentional with creating mm-hmm. things in the home. So I just think this just dovetails mm-hmm. this year so beautifully. It could not have come out at a better time. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's been the beautiful thing is just how, you know, in all of my projects, I'm just amazed at how much, you know, I'm following the Holy Spirit and just kind of being led in diff- different directions. And then something like this happens and it's like, okay, he was so far out in front on all of this, you know, to begin with. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was amazing just writing it and working on it though, too, in the midst of all this, because of course we ran into all sorts of problems and roadblocks between um, not being able to get our photographer certain places and all of that. Um, and then of course I had a baby in the middle of all of it. So it seemed really, there were a lot of appropriate things that happened, you know, for a book that focuses so much on homemaking, but also on this idea of fruitfulness. Um, it, it was just couldn't have been underscored more, I think, by um, being being at home with a newborn. So, um, it, you know, it was pretty beautiful to write, challenging, but really, you know, amazing to be living all of it. So uh, in such a raw format. Yes, yeah, holy smokes. Yeah, the both and the beauty and the rawness, I think just really comes through when I'm reading and looking at this book, too, because you're right, it is a very visual driven book. That's just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, One of my favorite, I loved you. the entire book, but I really sat with the introduction for the longest time. The book opens with this gorgeous mm-hmm. essay on mm-hmm. home and, and happiness. And you and Noel share Patrick Lincioni's three common elements to evaluate happiness mm-hmm. at a job. So if, if listeners aren't familiar, the, the three questions to see whether you're happy at your job are one, am I respected and known in my job? Two, do I know why my job matters? And finally, three, am I progressing in my work and is there a measure for the progress? What happens when we take these questions and apply them to homemakers? And then does the way that we answer that speak into the reality that women who are homemakers experience in today's society? Yeah, no, I think this is absolutely just a fascinating thing that I ran across, Pat Lencioni's work, because he obviously is talking about the real you know, workplace of being outside of the home. And it struck me, you know, what happens when we, we take these things and look at them in the home? And, um, you know, I think that the answers are pretty negative in a lot of respects because, again, homemaker is kind of a, a dirty word. And also because women just have been told over and over and over again, you know, that you're really going to be happy if you're in control or you're powerful, if you're ambitious, um, you know, if you're climbing the ladder, or if you're really making strides. In, in the workplace, but we don't really see any emphasis on the value of, of home kind of in the common area. In fact, you know, very few of us are very even comfortable saying, well, I'm a homemaker. Um, I've started saying it because I just like to get a reaction out of people. <laughs> but I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's not something that people are, are all that comfortable presenting themselves as. They feel it's sort of insufficient. I, and I think that's it's a real tragedy because, again, it shows how we've shifted this, the values of the culture to mean things that we're doing outside the home and completely lost the sense of what it means to raise a child. And, you know, again, it goes back to the 1950s, radical feminism. Um, and, you know, Jermaine Greer is saying, well, children don't need to be raised. They just sort of raise themselves. Um, and someone actually compared them to succulents the other day. Oh, you could just, you know, think of children like a succulent was sort of the, the, the philosophy then. 
And of course, we, we have all this social science that is showing that absolutely that is not the case. It is not true at all. Um, you know, how valuable both parents are in terms of, of raising a child. Um, and so I think that it's those kinds of things that haven't seeped back into the culture yet that we don't recognize. And so as a result, women feel very underappreciated. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, add to that to all the technology and all the different ways in which everything is sort of very easily handed to us. Um, you know, we're not canning for the winter anymore. We're not um, knitting sweaters for our children. You know, we're not seeing any kind of progress in our, um, in, our in these different areas of, of techne or craft like people used to see. Um, so it's, it feels very mundane. Um, whereas, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, now that we're all home, we're sort of seeing like, wow, that's really hard to knit a sweater or it's really hard to grow a garden or, you know, and you can imagine next year will be easier. The next sweater will be easier because we're growing in that craft. And I think that's what used to happen in home making very naturally. Um, but it, it doesn't anymore again, because we just buy things off the rack or, you know, whatnot. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of like innate challenges that as a society, have made it hard to feel comfortable as a homemaker. And yet that's the beauty of trying to form community with other people that are like-minded and also, you know, thinking with the church in terms of our job is really to get everybody to heaven and recognizing that the home is the place where that happens. Um, that's, that's the place, the theater where it really that all flows unfolds. So nicely too with the theology of home one, just that eternal and the everyday and kind of beginning this, the season of homemaking with the end in mind, with the, the reminder that the, the souls I'm caring for are eternal souls. Even if my home's not eternal, you know, I, it's really just this place to encounter and interact with the eternal that we do get to interact with, with our families. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and bite size and seemingly very insignificant ways all day long. Um, and yet, you know, those things really um, are amassed, you know, something significant is, is created out of those very small moments um, day in and day out. So it's, I think it's beautiful to start seeing it from um, the end goal in mind instead of just the mundane or the monotonous. Um, Another almost. aspect into this introduction is this study that you shared from a University of Virginia sociologist, W. Bradford Wilcoxon, that discovered that the happiest women or women who would rank themselves the happiest are those who are at home with their children, but then they have some kind of part-time work outside the house. Can you speak into why why that would be the case in terms of a happiness scale for women? But then also, I think there's something here with the reconnection of home and homemaking that we can really address into why this, the ambivalence that a lot of women feel around motherhood and, and homemaking as a whole. I think your study is really fascinating. And I know from my own experience, um, you know, a lot of it stems from the fact that our neighborhoods are empty throughout the day. You know, I'm actually looking out the window and I'm there might be three or four families that I can think of. I'm not really close to any of them. You know, I mean, it's just a strange dynamic. Um, that we have where, you know, used to have the kids being, being able to play on in the street with the, their bicycles and, you know, going from one house to the next and the moms knew each other. And there was this, there was a real sense of community in your local area. And I think that that's missing. The other reality is, is that most of us have been trained for some kind of a vocation since we were very young. I know I never, I don't ever, yeah, I think I went to, I took a home ec class maybe. Um, but I didn't really learn to cook very much. Um, you know, my idea of a nice dinner was like make some pasta and buy some sauce from William Sonoma and throw some cheese on it, you know. Um, so it's it's those kinds of things that were not, um, you know, instilled in my own life. And yet, um, so I have this whole skill set that, you know, as soon as I was home, I was like, I, I really can't use any of these 
things. Like I had to learn how to cook and, uh, you know, a lot of these different areas of my life needed to be developed. So I think that that having something, one thing to do outside the home, even if it's very small, does what it does is it creates community for us, um, but it also uses these skills that we've already developed in, in different ways. Um, so it's it's an interesting dynamic to see that that, that is the case. Um, now, I obviously don't want to denigrate those that don't aren't doing something outside the home. I think that's an amazing gift. And, you know, there are plenty of days and I wish I did nothing else outside the home. You know, it's just those moments where I, I, you know, I had more time to give to each of my children independently throughout the day. Um, I think those are the, the things that I, I wish, you know, I didn't have to work um, at those moments. That's kind of the biggest thing that I, I think I struggle with. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said just for the way that we've been trained and raised, but the, the emptiness that we, we deal with. And again, back to those three things that Lencioni was talking about, mentions, um, when we don't feel like we're growing and we're sort of stagnant, I think that that's a, a, a challenge too. Whereas if you have some kind of a business or something, you can watch it grow and feel like there's new benchmarks, um, being created. So all of this is sort of, I think, interrelated in the, the, the main social issue being that we we don't value the home um in mm-hmm. the way that yeah, that makes a ton of sense yeah i remember graduating from college with a degree in history and i mean when may was born i put the research aspect to good use i spent a ton of time on google rabbit holes trying to figure out how to mother but <laughs> with the exception of that it can very much feel like the echo of a professor in the back of my mind like you're wasting mm-hmm. this degree i can't believe that you're doing this after you know this many years of education and so i think that really speaks into the reality that a lot of women mm-hmm. are facing yeah, no, I, I think that's true. Uh, you know, just another one of those pieces that we talk about a little bit in the book, too, is just this idea of seasons of life um, and how, and, and that's where our faith comes in, is just seeing how God uses our gifts in different ways and different seasons. And, um, uh, you know, I even have I've laughed about this fifth baby a couple of weeks ago. I realized, you know, why is this so much easier than when I had, four, you know, four children five years and under? Um, and I, you know, obviously I've got help now. I've got a nine-year-old and 11-year-old daughter. Um, but the big thing was, was that there's all this anxiety about what to do is gone. Like I, I know what to do. And it's, it's funny how that, I didn't even think about that until the baby was, you know, eight months old that I I didn't realize. And so it was all this joy, but I think that it's those kinds of things that we don't, especially when you're a new mom and you're just trying to figure it out and like you're on Google all the time. Um, it can be incredibly challenging and, and those are the kinds of anxieties that also you're like, I just don't want to do this. Like, this is hard. I want my old life back, you know, where I knew what I was doing and I had a goal and I had, um, you know, pat on the back or had a paycheck or something else. So, um, yeah, when you, when you feel like you're doing rest and you just end up with a, a colicky baby or baby that's eating and everything that you do doesn't help. And it's, it's, it can be really uh, a challenge I think so that's uh, but again that's where I think the faith in God and recognizing that the value of the soul that we're raising and the the the, the long-term goal is just so important and and how he's preparing us through each of these seasons um, for the perfect vocation that he's got for each of us is another thing that we have to really you know rely on and rest in we're in a season of mothering little people here on earth but this book isn't isn't just for women who you are full-time stay-at-home moms or homemakers or even women who are mothers you write in the introduction this is for every woman because ultimately homemaking is a kind of mothering 
for women who are listening who are not in that same season of mother mothering, maybe they aren't married yet, or maybe kids aren't in the picture, but obviously they're they're called to this maternity. What are some ways that homemaking could look like practically in their in their lives? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, one of the things that I have been really struck by throughout the last couple of years is just what a, a desert there is, just a dearth, absolutely, of what it really means to be a woman um, and femininity. I think we've spent so much time trying to compare ourselves and compete with men. That we're, it's much easier to sort of look at ourselves through that prism than to even try to explain what what a woman does. Um, and especially when I was doing my research for the anti-Mary book, I just loved delving into this idea of women contain things. Um, We hold things. We, you know, you can see that in the body. There's very, you know, a lot of theology of the body kind of riddled through this book in terms of just saying, what does our body do? Well, we bring, we carry children and bring them to life. And, you know, even our arms, our elbows are a slightly different um, uh, dimension than or a, a diagonal, I should say, than men's so that we can cradle a baby more easily than they can. Um, so it's things like that that are on the external that point to the internal. And even in like ancient mythology and, and within the church itself, you have a discussion like anything feminine in the Romance languages are things like a ship or even the ocean um, because those are things that are carriers that carry us to a different place or change us or transform us. And that's what women have the capacity to do. Um, so we have this notion that, you know, if you've, if you've either biologically had a child or adopted a child, you're, you're a mother. That's when you start mothering. But the, the, we see this very early, especially, uh, you know, I see it in my daughters. It's how natural it, it comes to them to um, want to hold a baby and be, be dialed into them. You know, we're very hardwired into relationships. Um, and so that's what we're all called to do is this kind of spiritual mothering, even if we haven't biologically done it yet and we do that with our prayers i mean that that, and of course the example that we use in the book is is cloistered nuns um who you know they take the prayers of the world and they turn them in their souls and offer them back to god and you know i know from very direct experience that their prayers transform have transformed my own life and transform the world um and that's what women are called to that's the kind of the ideal is um, we take people into our heart and then we improve their lives um, through our love and our concern and our compassion. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the pieces that we've really lost um, because we've been so focused again on power and ambition and, and control um, instead of saying that, no, the real power is when we surrender ourselves to God and allow him to work through us um, in these remarkable ways. So, what does that mean then for the single woman? Um, you know, this is an area that, again, we have ran into a lot of COVID issues in terms of we have, I think, 10 or 11 women featured in the book. And it would have been fun to feature a lot more, but particularly a lot more single women. Um, and it just either logistically, we just couldn't swing it. Um, but we did feature um, one woman who, you know, she went through all the she went to Stanford and Yale and had this amazing career. And then she had this big crisis and she was like, what do I do? I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm beyond childbearing years. And she ended up using her gifts um, intellectually to, to start working on the work of a German woman who's very unknown um, in the United States, but she was um, a married woman that, that never had children. 
um, and just the, the work on what it means to mothering. So that section was really important for me to make sure that we had that in the book, just to talk about that idea of, you know, even couples that are infertile, how important um, their relationship is and their marriage is in the world and the fruit that's born of that relationship, despite not being fruitful. So anyway, enough of the theological or theoretical sort of chatter. What does that mean practically for women? Um, well, that's the beauty of things like hospitality and bringing people into your home. Um, we talked to one woman who had, um, she was single and, and didn't anticipate getting married. So she had hosted um, exchange students from other countries because she really wanted those kinds of relationships um, to flourish. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, I think, different examples of, out there. And I, it was interesting even just seeing um, this demographic of women who have struggled with this. They're well past childbearing years, and yet they still feel this call. So it was interesting to see that the many different ways that God was using this call in their lives. And um, that was certainly one of them. Jennifer, whom I mentioned, that was doing this intellectual work was another way. Um, but yeah, I think hospitality is one of those great ways. I think even in the workplace, um, being a presence where you can be somebody that can be trusted to um, take, you know, people can count on you, um, certainly in terms of just even the job. I mean, that, that goes without saying, but you can be a listener. Um, someone could come to you with your, with your troubles and you could be someone that you, even if you don't have the answers to their problems, you could pray for them. Um, it's those kinds of thick relationships that we want um, to have naturally in our lives. But that's really, I think, where women's gifts are significantly out there for others to to, to benefit from um, is when we take aspects of uh, people's lives into our hearts and homes. Um, you know, as a, as a mom with a lot of kids, there's nothing more amazing than somebody saying, can I just come over and watch your kids for an hour, you know? It's it's little, little, little things like that. You, you know, you don't have to commit for five hours or something like that. Um, you know, if you said to an, a couple that it was tired and you knew didn't have a lot of means, you know, let me just watch your kids for two hours. You guys can go out to dinner. What an amazing gift that would be and a way for you to certainly get to know these children, but also to help the parents, but also to help yourself because those are the practical kinds of things that, you know, I think I wish I had done more of it because I didn't realize, you know, kids don't need a lot of entertaining. They just need attention. Um, you know, those little things in different ways that we can pick those things up, um, our gifts to others and, and transform ourselves too. So it's, it's not complicated. It just seems like more, we just need to be engaged in other people's lives and also looking for needs and areas that we can, um, both help them out, but also get to know people more deeply and know ourselves that through that. I know we are just, we are just scratching the surface of, of the stories shared. And I know that I could talk with you for at least another hour about the beauty of this book, but I would still, I would not even come close to doing it justice on a podcast because it's so visually driven and you're missing out if you don't have a copy in front of you. So where can women pick up a copy of Theology of Home 2, The Spiritual Art of Homemaking, and find out about all that Theology of Home has to offer? Yeah. Um, well, the best place, of course, is theologyofhome.com. We have a, um, a store. So we can, if people want a signed copy, I am happy to sign them and mail them off. Um, certainly Amazon and Tan Books are, are places to get them um, as well. Um, but at Theology of Home, we also try to take the spirit of um, certainly of homemaking, but also what it is that women love about our faith and about the culture and kind of tie that into it. We have a daily collection of, of aggregated 
links from different places that we bring together. Um, it's just encouraged Catholic women. We recognize that the culture has really been destroyed by um, visual media in particular. And so we thought, why don't we start doing something that really is a positive spin on this concept? And you see that in our books, but also we're trying to do that on the website um, as well. So our store there actually supports the work that we do. You know, we got tired of two or three years of not working for a penny. Um, in fact, worse because we had to pay for the overhead. Um, you know, so we finally thought rather than be becoming a nonprofit and knocking, you know, on people's doors, why don't we just sell these great products? And um, so that's what we've been doing to sort of to support ourselves. So it's been fun to see both of those things go hand in hand and, you know, not only repopulate the ideas, but also the marketplace. Because I think um, Catholicism in the marketplace has been very one dimensional for a long time. Um, so we're trying to build that well, up as well. The last question that I have for you is one that I've asked you before, but I'd love to focus on a little bit something different here based on our conversation in this episode. And it's this one, Carrie, how do you live out the feminine genius as a woman leading conversations on the importance of beauty of home and of homemaking? You know, I, this is, I mean, this is a great question and it's certainly changed over the years um, because I think I have had a heart for women for a long time, but I never really knew how to address and help women. Um, my, you know, my degree is my PhD is in, in philosophy. And I just thought, well, I could just use logic and reason and women will just see the truth. And, you know, nothing could have been further from the truth. Actually, it was very, um, I was very disappointed very quickly and just realized I had to pivot and find a different way to communicate the beauty of the church that I love so much and try and help others see that. Um, and so that's, you know, some of it has been obviously through my work on Our Lady, um, certainly in the, the anti-Mary exposed, um, researching all of that. But I, I think that the, the greatest gift that God has given me and, and was definitely born from a lot of prayer was just to see the importance of um, this element of fun and engagement and creativity um, that's really required, I think, for women to feel engaged in something. And I don't think that we as Catholics do that well. I think we spend a lot of time focusing on apologetics and ideas and not a lot on um, kind of an ethos and the beauty that is around us and presenting it in a way that's, that's tangible to all women. Um, and so that's what Theology of Home like, is, is really trying to fill in that gap, you know, in a very small way, um, but to try and help connect those things so that even people that aren't really, engaged, you know, your average woman that's there on at Sunday Mass, but they would never read Catholic media or be involved in, um, you know, Bible study or something, she's going to feel engaged just flipping through a book like this, you know, feels like looking in a magazine, but there's richer ideas there that are drawing her more deeply into to the world. So, yeah, I think that's really um, been, been my calling is how do we take these ideas that are around us, but use them, you know, rather to destroy the culture, use them to build the culture up and certainly through Oh, that's so beautiful. I know I, I have benefited greatly from the work that you have done and from your yes to prayer. So thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing Yeah, more about Theology of Home too, but then also just for all the work you do. I, I love, yeah, I love Theology of Home in my daily inbox. And, and this book is one that it just makes the perfect gift, but I know that I'll be continuing to flip through it as the years go by. <laughs> that's so great. Thank you so much, Chloe. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to letterstowomenpodcast.com to check out this week's show notes. Or if you're listening in your podcast player, you can just scroll down to browse through links to Theology of Home 2, that daily collection email that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and a link to Carrie's first episode on Letters to Women, where she shares about getting to know our lady better. I hope your Christmas is merry and bright and that it brings so much rejoicing to this weary world and your weary soul this year. I cannot wait to see you in 2021. There are so many incredible women that are coming on the show to share how they live out the feminine genius in their daily life. Hit subscribe so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, it would be the best Christmas gift ever. If you would leave Letters to Women a quick review and let me know how I did this year. Follow along the pod- with the podcast and hear the latest book news over on my new Instagram account for the podcast at Letters to Women underscore podcast. And don't forget to enter the giveaway for the copy of Theology of Home 1, Theology of Home 2, and the Theology of Home 2021 Planner. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, be not afraid.